Hey, everybody. Are you with me when I say life can be amazing at times, but it can also be extremely challenging? I know. I've been there myself, learned some valuable life lessons along the way, and now I'm here to help you. It's no coincidence you've found your way to the Relevate podcast. I'm your host, Rena Olson, a self-proclaimed inspirer of others. Together, we're going to dive deep into raw and honest conversations with real people. My hope is that through these stories, you too will be inspired and ready to tackle whatever's holding you back or breaking your heart. Then you'll be free to live a life of purpose and true fulfillment. I promise it's possible. Let's Relevate. Hey friends, it's Rena Olson. Welcome to this episode of the Relevate Podcast. I'm so glad you're here for this powerful conversation with Tiffany Huff Struthers. Tiffany is pure inspiration. She's a life coach, creator, and host of the Bounce Back Podcast. Stay tuned for her once tragic turned hopeful story. As you will hear, she is not only a survivor, but a thriver. Tiffany Huff Struthers, welcome to the Relevate Podcast. Good morning, and thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh my God. So it's bright and early. We're having a morning call, which which is good, but which can be a little bit of a challenge. I'm still like, still waking up. But thank you for for hopping up and getting on on, uh, the Zoom to share your story. It's really, um, you've been through some tough times in your life, but you have prevailed and have such an amazing story to tell. So just start um, with sharing a little bit about yourself, Tiffany. I would love to. I want to say, though, that I really believe this is why God wakes me up in the morning to share and to prayerfully be a blessing to someone. So I don't mind um, the morning at all. In fact, I prefer it. Yeah, I do too. Yes. So um, like you said, my name is Tiffany Huff Struthers. I am a Pittsburgh native. Um, I'm a wife and a mom to two teenage boys. Pray for me. Bless you, child. (laughs) (laughs) um, I, you know, I have come to this place because of my willingness finally to do what God has told me to do, where I am fortunate enough to be able to use my experiences and my story to be a blessing to others, to make both an impact and an income and to help others get to the point where they can do the same. And ultimately, you know, I believe my mission in life is to not only tell my story, but to help others tell their stories so that God can get the glory. But it always, it hasn't always been this way. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you want to kind of unpack um, that, that tough part of, of your journey, that would be amazing. So I'm going to take you back. And, and I think I can tell this story in a very succinct way. So if I get a little long one that you can let me know, but okay. um, I want to take you back and preface this story with what I now know was very important mm-hmm. to how things played out. So when I was growing up, I'm the youngest of three. Um, My children were, or excuse me, my parents were high school sweethearts. They got married very early on out of high school. And, you know, they were, for lack of a better way to say it, the American dream. My father was an entrepreneur. My mom stayed at home. 
Um, and then the crack epidemic hit and my father ended up addicted to drugs and my mom started struggling with her mental health. My sister, who was a straight A student, got to high school and ended up a teenage mom. My brother started getting into trouble and was dealing with gangs. And then there was me. I was like in the corner with my babysitter's clubs books and just all geeked out. And not for, not intentionally, I'm sure, um, but because there was so much going on in the family dynamic, uh, my parents ultimately ended up getting divorced when I was still in elementary school, but well, separating, I should say, when I was in elementary school and ultimately getting divorced. But one of the things that I realized very early on was that when I did well, they paid attention to me. When I brought home good grades, there was a pause and there was, um, you know, people would light up about that. And so very early on, I was, I developed an addicted, an, an addiction to achievement. Mm -hmm. And my parents always told me, if you work hard, there's nothing you can't do. And for a very long time, that rang true in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom and dad would say, if you make good grades, you'll get a scholarship that ha happened. If you work hard in college, you'll get a good job that happened. And so all of these things were happening. But like I said, I was on a path where one, I was chasing addiction and two, I was chasing that affirmation because when I achieved, that's when people paid attention to me. And so I, you know, all of that was true until I got into this relationship and everything to that point had worked well. And so I felt like if I could work hard and achieve everything else, then I should be able to work hard to achieve this quote unquote good relationship status. Right. And I was so committed to my own detriment that when little red flags started to pop up, I convinced myself I needed to work harder. There was more I needed to do as opposed to really seeing the situation for what it was. And so I was so, very um, I'm sorry, was this your first real relationship? This was my first real relationship. Mm -hmm. We started dating the summer before senior year in high school. Mm -hmm. And again, this is at a time where my achievement is coming to an all-time high. You know, it's time for the scholarships and the college acceptances to start ro rolling in. And so I was really, when the relationship started, he was like the relief that I needed. Everything in my life was so serious because the expectations for me were so great. I was like the one in the family who was going to quote unquote, make it, you know, yeah. I was going to be the one to carry um, everybody else forward. And so he became my relief, but very early on, if I'm honest, and in hindsight, of course, I see things a lot better. I recognize that even in the beginning, there were trade-offs that I was making, right? Mm. But I was young and I was in exactly. love. Exactly. You didn't know. And I, and I didn't know. And I, and also I worked so hard and focused so hard on not becoming a teenage mom because I saw the challenges that my sister faced and how, you know, the trickle effect of all of that. And so I was so adamant about that not being the thing that tripped me up that I didn't realize, or I wasn't really conscious of the possibility of falling into an abusive relationship tripping me up. And so by the time I realized what was really going on, we were probably four to five years in. And 
Um, we were nearly seven years in before we had our first child. But over the course of these years, like I said, there were red flags. And in fact, I would be, I would venture to shade. There were not just red flags. There were like sheets of red or like, you know, big billboards of red. But again, I was so uh, committed to making this work. And especially by the time I got pregnant, you know, I was committed to achieving the good family. I was uh, committed to you know, my children having the family that that we started with, but did not see mm-hmm. all the way through. Right. Sure. And so. Well, and I'm sure he was charming. You know, there was there was good there mixed in with the bad. And you that's, know, that's where it gets. So, so yes. And I think for both of us, you know, because he had his own challenges as well. I think we were both each other's safe space right? We were both each other's solace. The challenge though, was that I was growing in a different direction than he was, right? But because we had probably become kind of codependent on one another, we were both trying to force this thing to work because it it had been our solace for so long. Um, And I can't necessarily remember at what point I realized it, but I realized that I was literally suffocating my spirit. I was literally committing spiritual suicide to maintain this relationship because I had literally never had an identity as Tiffany. I was the smart one in the family. And then I became his girlfriend. And then I became the mother of my children. And so I never really was able to be Tiffany, if that makes any sense, beyond what people prescribed. And so things came to a head and I, you know, I just got to the point where I was like, I have these two sons. I don't want them to grow up thinking that it's okay to mistreat women. And I also don't want them to grow up thinking less of me because I chose um, to continue to be mistreated. And so I, I decided that enough was enough. And of course, when I decided that he, it was not a mutual decision. Um, and so, I mean, and this, you know, again, when I think back on this, I feel like I've lived another life. I can remember when my youngest son or my oldest son, it was his first Christmas and things had gotten so bad that when he left the house one day, I literally had movers come and they moved the Christmas tree with ornaments on it, like literally packed the bag, the van and I moved um, because I did not want him to know I was moving. I did not want him to try and stop me from moving. So, you know, it was very tumultuous for an extended period of time. And when I finally decided enough was enough, I moved again. Um, I did not run this time. He was aware and he was having a lot of challenges with it. And over the course of this summer, you know, things got so bad, like he was stalking me. I ended up going and staying with a friend for like weeks at a time. And I just got tired. You know, I, I just, I was like, I'm paying rent to be in this place. My children and I deserve to be in our home. I don't want to live in fear anymore. And so I went home and I think a week or two before everything literally came to a head, you know, he called me one evening and we were speaking on the phone and I did not realize that he was sitting on my front porch the entire time. And at some point he climbed into my my back window and came into the house. Now, on this particular day, he uh, was very adamant that he just wanted to talk. Um, And I was more concerned about the fact that he was able to climb in that window. So he didn't do anything violent that day. It was, um, it was, 
I believe God given me the grace to know that that window did not lock and I needed to get that taken care of. Unfortunately, I had a slum landlord at the time I was renting. And so I got like a two by four and put it in the window so that you couldn't lift it. So the following weekend, I believe he was going to try and climb into the window again because he knew I wasn't going to let him in. And maybe things would have been different if he could have climbed in the window. I don't know, but he couldn't get the window open. And so I had a back door that had like those glass, like, you know how you have a glass uh, frame in your back door and it had like those blocks. Mm -hmm. And so he, he had a gun and he shot through the bottom block. And so he put his hand through that block and was able to unlock the door. And on this particular night, I always joke about this when I tell this story. It was my sister's birthday weekend. And I'm not sure why she was celebrating her birthday without me. But I had my two children, I had my niece, and I had my nephew because my sister was out celebrating. And so um, when I heard the noise and it was a hot summer night and I had a window air conditioning unit at the time. So when I heard the noise, it was kind of muffled by the air conditioner. And so my first thought was one of the children maybe fell out of the bed. Mm -hmm. So I opened the door and when I come out the door, my children's room was immediately to the right and I could see right in the door and they were all, you know, sound asleep. Everything was intact. And then like immediately when I realized they were fine, I heard footsteps downstairs and I knew it was him. Like I had no, there was nothing in my mind that says somebody has broken in. Like there's an intruder. I knew immediately that it was him. And, you know, from the kitchen to the staircase might've been five or six steps. And, and so, you know, as my mind is quickly processing this, he's coming up the steps with the gun pointed at me. And so he pushed me back into the bedroom and he's belligerent. He's screaming, he's hollering. And I remember being very nervous and, and ended up like sitting down on the bed with him, like standing over me. And the entire time this gun was literally pointed right here. I didn't have my glasses on because it was the middle of the night, literally. And um, he's just screaming and he's hollering and he's smacking me and he's got this gun. And I got very, very nervous. Um, when people tell you that their life flashes before their eyes, they don't make that up. Like I could see images of me breastfeeding my son in the hospital. I could see images of me and my mom at my high school graduation. There's you know, this, there's this picture, um, of me giving my dad a kiss on his cheek when I was a little girl. Like I could just literally see, and I could also see images of he and I happy. And I was just praying like, God, please, if, if he kills me, who's going to take care of my children? Like, I really just want to be able to be here for my babies. And so I got very nervous and I felt like I was going to have an accident. And I told him like, I really need to get to the bathroom. And so he let me get up and um, he was like following me to the bathroom. And at one point he got irritated again and he shoved me up against a wall. And I looked into his eyes and I could see that he was either drunk or high out of his mind. And if I did not do something, I was literally going to lose my life. And so I, I grabbed the gun. It was all I could think to do. Like he, the gun still pointed directly at me. I grabbed the barrel of the gun and we kind of got into a tug of war. And at some point I got the gun off him. And then I had my lifetime movie moment. You know, that moment where you're like, 
do it. Don't do that. Do that. I stood there just like the woman who like falls down or looks back and you're just like, are you kidding me? And, 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 and mind you, I'm telling this story long, but this happened in very, very rapidly. Mm -hmm. Um, so in the, in the few seconds it took for me to realize that I had the gun, he also realized that he, that I had the gun because in my mind I was processing, you know, if I turn this gun around, I'm going to literally shoot him in the chest. He will be dead. Right. And so while I'm processing all of this, he's processing, she has this gun. And if I don't get it. Yeah. So in that, in that matter of seconds, he uh, grabbed the gun back from me and he pulled it like how I pulled it from the trick of uh, the barrel. He pulled it back from me from the trigger or I don't even know what that piece of the gun is called, but the gun did not have a safety. And so when he snatched it back from me, it immediately went off. And so I see this big spark of light. And the next thing, you know, it was almost like slow motion, the light and then me falling. And the next thing, you know, I'm on the floor oh my. and my leg, if you can imagine a, a fish like that comes out of water, how it's like just flopping uncontrollably, my leg was doing that. And, and I believe that in that instant, I was in complete shock. And so was he like, he was no longer drunk or high. He was like with it. And we were both like, I think we were both kind of in shock. And then he started to panic and he was like, look what you made me do. I'm going to go to jail. I might as well kill you and kill myself. And my leg, like my leg swelled up a really, really big and it got really heavy. And so I couldn't move because of how heavy my leg had gotten. And I was just like begging him to give me the phone and leave, like, give me the phone. Let me call the paramedics and you just go. Like I'll say you, somebody broke in, just, just go. So eventually I was able to convince him to go. <laughs> and then once he left, he started calling. So when I would pick up the phone and try and call someone, he was on the other end of the line. Um, yeah. So, so eventually, you know, eventually, obviously I ended up in the hospital and, and when the police came, they were like, no one broke in here. Like there's, there's obviously a sign of forced entry, but nothing is gone. Nothing is taken. Like you knew this person. Um, so yeah, he was not apprehended for about a month. So I was in the hospital under an alias name. And um, I had to have two surgeries. I now have a metal rod in my leg because the bullet hit and shattered my femur. Gosh. And um, yeah, so in that instance, you know, literally my life changed overnight. I ended up, you know, physically disabled temporarily. I couldn't walk. Um, I ended up homeless because I needed to move out of that place. My landlord was like, I'm not evicting you, but I'd like you to go. Um, and yeah, so my life just literally changed overnight. And it, and like I said, it was, it was um, years of events that led up to that moment. And that moment literally changed the trajectory of my life. Wow. Well, thank God you survived. I mean, that, that story could have had just, such an incredible tragic ending with all those kids in the house and yes. that gun pointed at your head. And uh, thank God that, that you were spared. So, so sorry you had to go through all of that, but I, I just don't understand why sometimes it takes that something so big and dramatic and terrible 
to get you to say, I'm done. Right. You know, and it gets you moving forward. I think it's so. How did you? So, um, were you a woman of faith throughout this whole thing? Was God kind of where was God in all this story? I definitely was a woman of faith. I definitely, you know, when my parents were married, we went to church every Sunday. My father was, you know, I won't say an elder, but he was in leadership at the church we went to as a family. Um, And I always had a yearning to be more connected to God. And I had those seasons where I was more committed than others. It was, it it was, um, it was a back and forth for me where I would get connected and then feel the pressure of at the time, I didn't fully know what I was called to, but the pressure of knowing that there was a calling. And so it was a combination of me running to God and running from God for many, 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 many years. But what I will say is that what happened that night rerouted my direction and my connection to God. And the events that happened, happened thereafter, I can clearly see how God orchestrated them to get me to where I am now. And so I guess that's a long answer to your question. So God was there, but the level of intimacy and relationship that is really required to live a spirit led life. The seeds have been planted, but I was not um, cultivating those seeds consistently. Right. Okay. Okay. My friends. So let's talk about, about how, I mean, how you even you're homeless, you're disabled, you're a mother of two young boys and a survivor now a survivor of terrible domestic abuse. How, how do you begin to pick up the pieces? Where did you, where did you start? So where I really started was, was pleading with God. You know, one of the questions that people often ask me is like, how, how is it that I didn't um, get stuck there? And I, in my mind, I just didn't have time to get stuck there. You know, I had two children. I had um, my health to get in order. I didn't really have time to wallow in the pity. I had to focus on being well and getting better. And that was very challenging when I had become dependent on so many other people because of the nature of my injury. I couldn't drive. Like I said, I was in an emergency shelter with two children. So where there were a lot of stipulations on being in that space and So I would wake up in the morning and and literally just cry and pray. All I had was like my prayer and my journaling. And that's really what carried me through. And also just going back to my roots. And I don't even remember what my dad taught me, Jeremiah 1.5, but it was something that was constantly replaying in my mind when I would wake up in the morning and just feel hopeless and just want to go back to sleep. And I would just remember that this God has so much more for me. You know, I knew God had so much more for me. And so I had to fight and I had to fight hard. It was a battle in my mind, even more than it was a battle physically, right, to get well. And so it, it really, you know, I, I know it sounds cliche, but it really was a battle for me to hold on to that word from God and that that promise that I knew that he had more for me. And and this wasn't the way my story was going to end. 
And one of the things that really got me through in that shelter was I had this legal pad they had given me. And I told everybody there, I was like, I'm going to write a book about this one day because this experience is just so crazy. And it became the thing that all of us kind of rallied around who were in that space. Like people picked alias names and little things would happen while we were there and say, they would say, did you write that down? Or did you get that for the book? And honestly, it was a haphazard thing that I thought I was just saying. I didn't realize at the time that that was really a prophetic word that I spoke about there being a book about this experience. And so that's kind of how I got through really looking forward to what was to come and knowing that that wasn't the end and really just holding on to God. And it was not easy. Even after getting out of the shelter, um, my children and I stayed with my father very briefly, but I was trying really hard to get back on my feet. And I would, you know, after a few months of healing, physically healing, right. Um, I started looking for a job and I would get these interviews, but I would not get the job. And this is not something I've ever had an issue with. And so I felt like I had a lot of PTSD. I struggled a lot. And I felt like people had seen me on the news. And once I got there, they would be like, oh, that's that girl who got shot. We don't want to hire her. This, These are the lies that I was telling myself. Um, and so my dad told me that maybe I needed to get away. Maybe I needed a fresh start. And I had some family, an uncle in North Carolina. So I decided that um, I would try it. And so I packed up my van and my two boys and we drove to North Carolina and I had a two year sabbatical there. And it was a completely different experience for me there because not only was I in a space where I didn't know anybody and I had to learn where I was, I was also giving a new opportunity to learn myself. What did Tiffany like? What did Tiffany dislike? And and this is in the midst of my life being in complete disarray, right? So I'm healing physically, but I had gained an immense amount of weight. I had two children in two years and then this traumatic experience. So I was overweight. I had filed bankruptcy because things were just in shambles. You know, physically, I was still healing. Mentally, I was still healing. So I was rebuilding literally all areas of my life. And I, when I got to North Carolina, I went looking for what I knew to be familiar, starting with a church home. And so I went and looked for a church that would be similar to the church that I was going to hear. And at that church, I met, I met a woman and she told me about another church where she went to Bible study and she invited me. She said, I think you'll really like it. And it'll be a great place for you to get connected to some other moms and so I went to Bible study at this church and <laughs> I know this sounds so cliche, but this church was like a campus. This is the first time I'd experienced like a church with a campus. Like I would take my children to children's church and I logged them in on a computer and it spit out a name tag. It was <laughs> massive. And the first time I walked into this church, I felt like I was on one of those cartoons where like the angel <laughs> and the light like shine down and you hear like, it was a very, very unique experience for me. Um, But I enjoyed the Bible study and I decided to try a church service there. And I'm talking about like auditorium style seating, like very large coffee shop in the lobby. And the pastor was white. And I had never 
been to a church where a pastor was white, but I was so drawn to this place and I could not stop going. I was, I was just intrigued. And it was in that space in North Carolina where it was just me and God and me. And in that church where I had my first real personal, well, I, I won't say my first, but where I had in many, many years, a real encounter with God, where I really encountered the Holy Spirit. This is the, the church where I spoke in tongues for the first time. And my life is forever changed from that two years in North Carolina because of how much I learned and I grew in that church, in my relationship. Uh, that's such a great story. And it, it makes me... I think people just need to give God a chance, you know, and I think so many times when devastation and brokenness happens, you know, they, instead of leaning, leaning into God, they separate and Mm -hmm. Jesus came for the broken and the hurting. He didn't, he didn't, you know, it's like that part of Christian faith, I think has really kind of gotten um, people get backwards. You know, it's like, oh, you Christian people think you're so perfect. No, Jesus didn't come for the perfect people. He came to heal the broken and, and the hurting. And, you know, it's there for everybody. You just have to take that first step and say, well, you know, let me give it a a chance. Yes. And that is just awesome. One of the things that you know, you hear people say is like, I had a praying grandmother, I had a praying mom. Um, in my case, I also had a praying father who who always was rooted in the word, who always had an encouraging scripture to give me, even in his in and through his addiction and recovery, you know, mm-hmm. he he knew God and he knew the word of God. Right. And for a very long time, he was encouraging me and he was telling me that, you know things are going to shift when you start to lead with God. You know, things are going to really take off when you lead with God. And he will always say to me, you've gone as far as you can go on your own. Mm-hmm. And I never understood it until, unfortunately, he died. But I recognized that he was telling me that I needed to surrender to God to really see success, right. to really achieve something great. Right. And I know, I now know that to be true, but the challenge is that, you know, a lot of times in the world and even in our families, the, the Christian walk is very surface level, you know, mm-hmm. and it really does require that you invest the time in having and building a relationship with God. And for, for a lot of us, that is challenging because, you know, he, you don't call him on the phone. He doesn't necessarily show up for lunch or dinner, but he does, you know? And and so I think you're right that it does require us to just surrender and give it a try and recognize that it's going to be extraordinary. And I love how you talked about, you know, the people that were surrounding you in prayer when you probably didn't even know it, didn't feel it, that cloud of witnesses that, you know, and that's great lesson for all of us. It's like, who do you know that's hurting or broken and, you know, really pray for them. And I think a lot of times we'll say, you know, we feel like prayer is kind of a last resort, but -hmm. it should always be our first line of, of defense or offense. 
pray for the people you love and pray for the people who it's hard to love as well. Because I can tell you that I laid up in that hospital and I tried, like I literally willed myself to hate him and I couldn't do it. I hated what he did. I hated the decisions that he made, but I mean, this was a man that I grew into adulthood with. This was a man who I had children with. And while what he did was awful, I couldn't hate him. And I did have to pray for him. And I did need to forgive him in order for me to even move forward, to even be able to raise our children. Sure. And that, that burden of hatred that you carry, it's, it's too great of a price to pay. It will eat you up. It will. And it will take up. up. Base for what God has for you. You know, when you are holding on to that unforgiveness, you can't open your hands and you can't um, be able, you aren't, you aren't able to receive what God will have for you when you're, you're you're clinging so tightly to that. Yeah. I have a good friend who he went through uh, just some horrific uh, atrocities during his childhood. And you know, the, um, the unforgiveness just about took him down. Um, and it took down multiple members of his family. And finally he just had to give it all to God. And he is a forgiveness coach now. Wow. And, um, it radically changed his life and he's completely dedicated to helping other people kind of journey towards forgiveness. So Tiffany, talk to us about how that, how your walk of forgiveness looked, how how did that kind of play out? Well, you know, I think that a lot of times we want to start with this challenge of forgiving other people. But for me, it came down to me really getting honest about the unforgiveness that I was carrying. And I had to be willing to admit that I had some unforgiveness for God. I I didn't understand then the way that I do now, why and why I was growing through what I was growing through and what he wanted me to take from those experiences. So I really had to come to terms with the fact that I had to forgive God. And unfortunately, we aren't always willing to be honest enough with ourselves to say those type of things or to face those truths. And the other thing was I had to forgive myself, you know, for all of the things that I could list that he had done wrong or bad things that we had experienced. I also had to acknowledge my role. You know, I chose to stay. I chose to endure. I chose to consistently try. And so there was some forgiving of myself that I had to do. And that that definitely required a lot of prayer. I also went went to therapy, you know, so I had to do the work ultimately. Yeah. And, and forgiveness. And that's hard. It's that's very hard. hard. To- and it takes a while, you know, it's not a one and done. It's not like, okay, I forgive you. Let's, you know, it, it's, especially when it is um, an extended period of time, whenever something happened or when a behavior took place, you, if it took, if it went on for 10 years, you choose in a moment to to decide to forgive, but it doesn't just go away in that moment necessarily. So yeah, my, my journey really started with the forgiveness of God and myself before I could even attempt to make peace with, you know, him or anyone else for that matter. Mm -hmm. Well, so let's talk about kind of what you're doing today. 
mm-hmm. because we are definitely kindred spirits and that we feel God's call on, on our heart and our lives to really lift people up to a higher level and to inspire. So Tiffany, help us understand kind of, you know, what you're doing today and how that's kind of manifesting in your life. Okay. So I, um, I am very entrepreneurial. So I have two endeavors. I founded and run a nonprofit called When She Thrives. And I also have a business called the Tiffany Huff Experience. And I want to share briefly this story about kind of how I got the revelation that these were the things that God was going to use to um, ensure that my story gave him glory. So I left my job in 2014 after God's very clear prompting to do so. And um, a lot of things began to happen not long after I left my job, one of which is that my father started dying um, and I care for him in his final days. And the other was that because I wasn't working and the way things were um, trans- transpiring, uh, money was not the same as it was when I was working, obviously. And I can remember one night I was in a small group and we were meeting at a coffee shop and I went, I got to the coffee shop and I did not have a coffee. Everybody had a drink, but me. And somebody asked me like, do you want a drink? You know, why don't you have a drink? And she went and bought me a coffee and I was angry. Um, I remember coming home after the small group and just being so angry with God because I could not afford a $2 cup of coffee. And I was embarrassed, frankly. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was getting undressed and, you know, I was crying and I was like, God, I just don't understand like what kind of person doesn't have $2 for coffee. I'm doing everything that you told me to do. And he spoke very clearly to me and he said, Tiffany, I told you that I was going to take care of you. Right. I didn't tell you how I was going to take care of you. Your coffee was paid for. Get over your pride and your ego that someone else had to buy the coffee. I provided for her to be able to buy you that coffee. And, you know, so I'm hysterical and I'm crying and I couldn't calm myself down. And so I went to the small group book and opened up to the page for the next chapter that we would be reading the following week. And Isaiah 61 verses one through four were the focus scriptures. And why this is significant is because this very same scripture, I have a magnet from a small group that I did at that church in North Carolina, what, seven years prior. And so it came full circle and I won't read or say the scriptures verbatim, but these these scriptures, Isaiah 61, in fact, in its entirety, but these particular scriptures are the scriptures that say the spirit of of the Lord is upon you because the Lord has anointed you to preach good news to the poor, to set free from prison, the captives, to provide um, a crown of beauty for those who have ashes. And, And so God was saying to me, all of the things that you have grown through, all of the challenges that you are facing, I'm going to use them. Your experience is going to help people know that, that, that everything has a purpose. There's nothing I cannot use. And so you just have to trust me. 
And the, the scripture goes on to say that the people you bless will be um, strong and they will rebuild the ancient ruins and they will make changes for generations. And so it was basically God affirming that nothing that he was taking me through was in vain. He could use all of it if I was willing to trust him. And so what that led to um, is these two uh, entities that I have. And so through When She Thrives, our mission is to empower single moms to move their families from poverty to prosperity. And so we do programming that ranges from rapid response, crisis prevention grants, to working with small groups of single moms to write and self-publish their stories so that they have an additional stream of income for their families. And then with the Tiffany Huff experience, it's more, um, me using, again, these experiences to help other women who have had setbacks and trials that they think are the worst things that have happened to them and really helping them to see the power in those stories and using them for God to get the glory and to make an impact and an income on others. So I work with women in the capacity of a, of a coach, um, a life coach and a writing coach if if you so choose to write a book. And I also, like you, have a podcast. And that podcast is? The Bounce Back Blueprint Podcast. Oh, I just love that. And whew, I so when you were telling about God speaking to you and that, that verse in Isaiah, I just, um, I, had, I had goosebumps and that's, uh, I've read that when you have those, that's God. <laughs> you know, he's pinging you saying, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. yes. That is fantastic. It's and so it's just so amazing. Yeah. And I love the fact that um, on social media, I mean, you're, you're, you're very firm in, in your, um, your advice to women a lot of times. Uh, and I think, you know, it's, it's not sugar-coated, but it's delivered in love. I try very hard to be straightforward, but like you said, to, to do it in love because I, you know, I needed a me when I was in the space that I was in. And, mm. and I'll be honest, this, is, this is, is something that was a challenge for me. I struggled really hard. Like I went, I, I, I battle with God. My old pastor used to say, if you're in a wrestling match with God and you're winning, you're losing. And I I would wrestle him and, and say to him, like, you know, God, like, do I have to do it this way? You know, because I knew I had this gifting, but I wasn't really sold on being a Jesus girl so to speak. I wasn't sold on like leading with God, you know, and, and, and hopefully you hear what I'm saying when I'm, when I say that, like, I could be a woman of faith in business, right. Or I could be a woman with a faith uh, based business. Right. And, and so Mm -hmm. I wanted the latter or I wanted the first one. And God was like, no, like your, your faith is what's going to make your business more impactful and people need to know that. And so now that I'm more comfortable with it, I know from my own personal experience that there are other women just like me who are struggling with that. And they need to know that they can stand and walk in boldness for the kingdom. There's no reason why unbelievers should be louder than us. There's no reason why unbelievers should be stumping while we are tiptoeing. 
And, and so that, that's why I try and bring a message that is bold, but definitely, definitely laced with love. So amazing, Tiffany. Um, so one more thing I want to kind of backtrack a little bit about stigma and shame associated with domestic abuse, mm-hmm. because I think that's something we need to be talking about more mm-hmm. um, because with knowledge, there's power there's power. Mm-hmm. And especially for, for the victim or the survivor, you know, what, how do you coach women to, to let that go? So I will say um, that I hoarded my story for 10 years. So I had that notepad in that shelter and I carried that notepad actually through that season that I was in North Carolina and even um, through moving back and, Um, I did not want to be the poster girl for domestic violence. I knew I was supposed to write a book, but I did not want that to be the story. And God made it expressly clear that if I did not write that book, I would not write a book at all. And so what I teach the women that I work with is, you know, I would say to God, like, why do I have to tell all of my business all of the time? And I would say, you don't have any business. Like, this is my business. And so I, I teach women that, you know, we cannot conquer what we refuse to confront. And so once you are willing to call out and confront what needs to be conquered and you can accept it for yourself, then nobody can use it against you, right? So once you come to terms with the fact that God, you know, you grew through this season so that God could use you and you are committed to trusting him, then it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. You know, validation is for parking. Affirmation comes from the word of God. And so you need to get to a place where you can affirm yourself, you know, like you, you got to get down to the root of the issue. And I also always remind women because another part of that stigma is like, what about what people will think about what I say about them? or how people will respond to what I say about them. And my response to that is your story is your own, right? And as long as you are coming from a true and genuine place and telling your story, right? As long as you don't have any malicious intent with the sharing of your story, then what other people think is really none of your business. And so- Yeah, it's, it's, it's really about that boldness and, and fully trusting God and knowing, you know, once if, if I accept what happened to me, there's nothing you can say about what happened to me that is going to hurt me. It's like, okay, that happened. And right. I, just, just think about the Bible. It's full of people telling their stories and these stories have been blessing people for 2000 plus years. We are no different than Moses or Joshua or Esther, right? Or Ruth. Our stories are equally as powerful. And so if we intend for the generations to continue to be blessed, then we have to be willing to have the same level of boldness and be able to share the same way, you know, those people in the Bible did. Right. And there's healing when you, when you open up you know, open up the the cracks in your heart and let the light in and step forward in faith. And, um, and it's, you know, I talk about this almost every episode, you know, so much of restoration it's, it's done in baby steps, you know? 
it's like people dig, you know, get so far in a hole and they're like, how can I ever get out of this? But, you know, it just takes, it just takes forward, forward movement, however small that is. Yes. Yes. One step at a time. Yeah. And I love, I love the part of your story where you had people leaning into your brokenness. You know, the woman who invited you to church and to the Bible study. And I would just encourage my listeners, your people, let's do that more. Let's, you know, and, and if somebody, you know, chances are the facade, everybody looks like they're doing really good, but a lot of us aren't. So just be dedicated to having real conversations and not, and not being afraid to, to be real you know, to be transparent, to be vulnerable, um, because uh, there's freedom when we do that. Absolutely. And, and I think we lose sight sometimes of how others are answers to our prayers many times, right? Provision is not just financial provision comes in the form of people as well. And so if you're not being open, you might miss the opportunity, um, that God is presenting to you. So definitely, absolutely. It's important. Absolutely. So Tiffany, close us out. The word "relevate" is actually a real word that means to uplift or inspire. Close us out with a word of inspiration, my dear. Well, I don't know when your listeners will hear this, but today is March fourth, and this is the only day of the year that is a declaration. It literally is a declaration for you to march forth. And so that is my word of inspiration to whomever is listening, whether it's March or May, when you hear this, God is stand up and march forth and be bold and who and what he has called you to be and do. Mic drop. (laughs) (laughs) That was amazing. Oh my word. Thank you so much for this time. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way, Tiffany? I would say they can find me on any social media platform at the Tiffany Huff and anywhere they're listening to Relevate, they can also listen to the Bounce Back Blueprint podcast. Awesome. Love it so much. Love this time together and let's do it again soon. This is so fun. Great way to start my Thank you so much. Okay. Keep shining, my sister and my friend. You are amazing. Likewise. What a story. Sometimes life can seem so dark and hopeless. And just like Tiffany, we simply have to find a way to hold on and walk through whatever challenges we're facing. May we all find strength from her courage and resilience. You and me and Tiffany, we are all more stronger and powerful than we know. To connect with Tiffany, visit her website at tiffanyhuffexperience.com. You can find her on social media at the Tiffany Huff. To connect with yours truly, the host of the Relevate podcast, visit rena-olson.com. And that is R-E-N-A dash O-L-S-E-N.com. Oh, and so you know, I'm letting my listeners be among the first to know about a new project I'm launching for those of us 50 and up called Maturus. I'd love for you to join me on that journey. Visit maturus.net and sign up for email updates. 
It's going to be so much fun. Stay hopeful and strong, friends. I'm Rena Olson, and this is Relevate.